We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And we have been in a series that we've called Starting Over since the beginning of the year. And the idea of this series was, is it possible for you to start over when it's been like forever since you've been doing the church thing? Like, can you... The thing about religion is this. You devote yourself to it. That's what it is. But when you put all your chips in on one spot, if you get it wrong, it damages you. You know, it hurts you. You open yourself up to be very vulnerable. And so it's understandable that a lot of times we come away with a lot of what can be called church hurt. You know? And it, it may not have been about the beliefs. It may not have been about Jesus at all. It might have been just about what particular people said to you, how they judged you, how they looked at you, whatever. But what happens is those instances of church hurt, then they kind of give you distance and time from that rhythm of being a part of the church and being a part of coming together and hearing the word and praying. And what ends up happening is you need like a reintroduction <laughs> to what it looks like. And that's what we're trying to do. So we started and we talked about the new birth a few weeks ago, what it looks like, the spiritual reality of you move from a spot where when I say the creed, when I say Jesus came to save me, he's the Lord, he's real, he broke into history, it's all real. When I say that, like I believe that in my heart. And sometimes we move from a spot where we are kind of going through it and we sort of don't connect to it and we're not feeling it. And all of a sudden we're saying it and we're not sure when it happened, but it does happen. <laughs> and there's this new spiritual life in us. We have belief and we have this new desire to follow God. And we talked about the new birth. It's a reality. It's not about switching political parties. It's not about liking a certain kind of music. It's not about being a part of a certain denomination. It's not about agreeing to a set of like five different things that you got to agree to. It's about God comes and lives in you, and all of a sudden you got new desires that you didn't have before. You're a new person. And then we talked about baptism, the profession of faith, the, the commitment, the, the entrance into God's family, that sign and that seal that you actually are washed, you are set aside, you, you bear the names. What do we get baptized in? You get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And you, get, you can't wash that off. You can't wash that off. It means you have a new ownership over you. Now we got to combine that with faith. You could be baptized and just like completely ignore it. And it's not going to help you very much. But combined with faith, that symbolism is powerful. And it's something that we do because Jesus told us to. He told us to baptize folks and make disciples. And we talked about communion. 
So this is a regular part of church, and I joked when, um, when we had Ben preaching on communion last week that, you know, there's lots of different elements that have come and go in church, lighting candles, having different incense, having different bells going off, whatever. You know, we got this goofy-looking projector screen. It looks like a, like a trampoline that's been, like, swung up, right? You know what I mean? There's lots of different things, lots of different ways churches look, when I was in Africa, church was literally under a, pe- uh, um, a, uh, a mango tree. 80 people under the shade of the tree and in the background of volcanoes. Let me tell you what, as beautiful as any cathedral you could imagine. No less worship of the one true God. But what they did do And what you do in the cathedral and what you do in anything that's a real church is you take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and you remember what is at heart the gospel, that he came to die for us, that we might live. And then um, tonight we're going to talk about spiritual growth and how you grow up in faith, hope, and love. And in the next couple weeks we're going to break that out. So growing in faith, like how does that express itself outwardly to others? So we're going to talk about living generously next week. And then we're going to finish this series by talking at the end, how do you pray? Nuts and bolts, like every day, super practical. How do I work on my relationship and deepen my relationship with God? Because it's this weird, mysterious thing where when you do good to others and you love others, that fuels your prayer, but also prayer fuels you loving people. So it's this, it's this crazy circle. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that and we'll talk about that. Um, but tonight we're going to look more broadly. And we've been looking at this from the mystical deep reality that like only God can do this, right? Only God can, can make you want him when you weren't interested in him before. Only God can make you feel the conviction for your sins, feel like, you know, I was, I was playing shuffle board bowling the other night at the pub down here, King Street Pub. Somebody comes up to me and they're like, every single Sunday morning, I hear the bells at St. Mary and I feel guilty that I'm not there. And, um, what we desperately want to hear is the pastor to say, just be yourself. It's okay. And that would just be a Band-Aid over cancer. (laughs) That guilt is real, and it goes deep, and it's a warning sign that there is something wrong deep in your heart. And it's right to want to have a relationship with God. Now there's, there's false guilt as well. There's a particular person in our congregation whose mother used to post a picture of him when he was like eight years old. And on the, on the refrigerator and under it, it would say, this was when you used to love me. An Italian mother. I think you can kind of narrow down who this might be. (laughs) 
someone who's here every week, <laughs> leads worship. <laughs> but um, now, yeah, we, we get guilt wrong and people put it on us. But that doesn't mean that just because there's an abuse of guilt and shame doesn't mean that guilt and shame don't have a place and aren't supposed to be like a warning sign. Don't be like I am with the car. Christy can tell you, when the car starts making weird, funny noises, I don't know, some of you like me, what we do is we just turn the radio up a little louder <laughs> so we can't hear that noise anymore. And look, car's fixed. <laughs> I watched this video on YouTube where they're like, how to fix the check engine light in two minutes. And what they did is they took a piece of scotch tape and they put it over the check engine light and they grabbed the Sharpie pen and they started <laughs> and they just blotted out <laughs> the check engine light so they didn't have to see it. Now, guilt, guilt's a sign. It's time to deal with some deep stuff. So what, is it, what does it look like what does it look like to grow? What is the direction of your life? As soon as you hear the direction of your life, you might feel like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's exhausting. I just want to live. Let me just be, Pastor. Let me just be. And I'm telling you that people are looking for a guide. And we're going we're gonna to look in the Word. But before that, I want you to uh, kind of examine a couple ways that people have been looking for guides. And this is really popular now, but it's been... It's ancient. These are two ancient ways that, that people try to grow as people. And one way is called the, the new stoicism. Well, before it was the new stoicism, it was just stoicism. <laughs> but but there's, this, there's this popular clinical psychologist named Jordan Peterson. He's a YouTube rock star. He's made like all these videos. And his basic message is, get your life together, man. You know, like that's his basic message. And it's those old virtues of courage, of standing tall, get a grip, get a control over your life. And it's not really rooted in any kind of spirituality, any type, but, but it's got a lot of reality. Like no pain, no gain. That's all true, right? There are, there are, there are, millions of young guys who are like watching this stuff all the time and then they're they're posting online and they're talking about these are guys that have no church connection no you know nothing like a like a christian framework for their morality but what they're saying is they're going online and they're sharing with random people like hey it's been like a month since i drank a beer and i've been going to the gym every day it's been a week since i looked at pornography now, they don't think any of these things are, they don't have the grid of like, I should feel guilty, whatever, but they have a grid of, I want to be a competent person. I don't want to be enslaved to my desires. So I'm going to be a man of discipline. But you know what that is? At the end of the day, that's a self-salvation project. Give it a go. Give it a try. Check back with me. In a week, a couple months, a couple years, I know where you're going to end up with it. I know where you're going to end up with it. Frustrated, failing, struggling. 
So that's, that's the no pain, no gain self-salvation project. But then there's the no pain self-salvation, the no pain. And this one is like, you know, when I'm playing board games with my kids, my kids are kind of intense. I don't know where they get that from. I don't know. They're like, they're really intense all the time. And my second son, he's like, takes it to another level. And if we're playing Monopoly, you know what he's going to do? If he's not winning, can you guess what he does? It's like, boom, to the whole board. And that's how we are with life. The rules are frustrating. We start to lose. And one of the ways that we try to win is just, I am going to just check out. I'm just going to check out. I tried playing by the rules. Screw it. I'm just going to check out. I'm just going to blow the board up. And this can look like a lot of things. This can look like, hey, I have a relationship now, and I'm going to lose myself in this relationship. And like, like forget whatever responsibilities I have to my kids, to my family, whatever, I am going to go every weekend, say it's on the holidays, whatever. I need to give myself permission to be happy. That's the no pain self-salvation plan. I need to be true to myself. Here's what it looks like in its most obvious and destructive form. I don't want to feel anything. Let me drink myself into oblivion. I don't want to feel anything. Let me be so strung out that it just doesn't, I just can't feel any of the pain. This is why we need to, this is why we need to start celebrate recovery. This is why we need another point. We need as many points of contact, as many opportunities as possible to support those who are looking to pull themselves out of this bondage. See, this self-salvation, addiction is a self-salvation project. And it promises to ease the pain of life. But we all know it actually ends up bringing way more unimaginable pain suffering, and destruction. Then It's like the hook on the end of a little piece of bread when you go fishing down at the pier. The bread looks good to the fish. Behind that bread is a nasty, gnarly hook. It's going to tear up your jaw, pull you out, and if, if, the, if the fisherman wants, you'll get cut up and fed for dinner. So where can we go? Where can we go? We've talked about these different ways. We sort of, in the culture, we either are like total hedonists or we try to have discipline, make our up our own rules. And we fail at that and we struggle. Well, let's look at the Bible. We believe the word of God. We believe that this will speak to us and give us a compass, a guide. And we are in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read verses 1 to 3. So it's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. We're going to go all the way to 13. The scripture should be up here if um, you want to follow along there or in, in the text. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, 
I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast that I do not, but I don't have love, It just doesn't matter all the discipline you can have. This defines who we are and who we want to be as a community. Listen, we don't care and I don't care about building up a group of people who are Bible know-it-alls. You can have all the knowledge in the world. If you don't combine love with that, it counts for nothing. If You could be like a spiritual wizard, move mountains, have crazy experiences, pray and things happen. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. It counts for nothing. You could be a a social justice warrior and, and be fighting all the battles, all the injustices in the world. And 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 don't hear me wrong. Like, we're saying our target is not religious know-it-alls, but we want you to know some stuff. Like, it's embarrassing when you don't know anything from the Bible. Like, you should know some stuff. When I say, like, our goal isn't to cultivate a group of, like, spiritual wizards and prophets, but, but man, do I want you to experience and expect God to do stuff. I want you to express faith and see Him heal people and see things turn around for people. But we're saying that's not our goal. That's not the end. That's not everything. Just like it says in this text, without love, none of this matters. And even the stuff we were talking about, without love, you understanding correctly how the new birth works, (laughs) you understanding baptism and communion, It just doesn't count. It just doesn't matter if we don't love. Go to church every week. Give all your money. It counts for nothing if it's not love. It's kind of a dangerous thing for a pastor to say, right? (laughs) Pastors are like, Wants you to read your Bible, come to church, give money, and be a part of something. Yeah, of course. Want it for love. Want it because it'll bless you. Want it because it'll change your life. I'm going to tell you the truth. You can do all these things. Paul was very graphic. When he talks about somebody offering their body to the flames, think of like the Buddhist monks that were opposing communist China, right? They literally set themselves on fire in protest to communism. Giving all of your possessions. This is this idea of like people sacrificing everything they have, selling their farmhouses, selling their second house, selling their coats and everything and giving it to those in need. And Paul says, it counts for nothing 
if it's not done in love. Your motivation matters. And do you know, do you understand that the story and the heart of the whole, this whole church thing, this whole gospel thing, this whole Christianity thing, is that God so loved the world that He came and He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life? Do you know that they beat Him and He kept going? Do you know that they put the crown of thorns on His brow and He bled down so that He couldn't see? and he kept going? Do you know that he physically couldn't keep going, and he fell down on the Via Dolorosa, and Solomon had to come and pick up the cross with him and help him go because he wasn't done yet. He had to get to Golgotha. He had to finish the job. And this is somebody who was perfect, who never thought wrong, said anything wrong, or did anything wrong. And he was perfect, and he laid down his life for people like me who have thought and said and done a whole lot of wrong and will continue to. And he did it that I'd be forgiven. That's the gospel. That's love. Let's continue. Verse 4. <clears throat> love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. If you're paying attention, you're like thinking, wow, if my family was like this, <laughs> like I might like them. You know what I mean? Like, like doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Like, that, how are we? How are we really like? We're like, every time we get in a fight, we're like, let's pull out the ledger. Let's pull out the ledger and flip through what you did three years ago, what you did last week. What you, you know what I mean? We are vindictive. We are all, we are everything that this is not. Verse six, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let me ask you tonight, who does this sound like? Say it. Yeah. Yeah. What a Bob Dylan song, you know? Bob Dylan, like, when love came to town. What was he talking about? He was talking about the incarnation. He was talking about Jesus. So he had a whole album <laughs> about Jesus, right? And, and uh, the other name of Jesus is love. He's the personification. He's the embodiment of love. And I'm asking you, does this sound like you? This is what I want you to, to know. This is what I want you to know. If you, are, if you believe in Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, and you work out that connection, and you deepen that connection, what I am saying to you tonight is, in time, where you will grow, and you will never look like this perfectly in this life, but you'll look more and more and more like it. This will define you. This will be what people say about you. You're not rude. You're not self-seeking. You don't delight in evil. 
That's really important. This whole, you know, verse 6, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. We have this idea of love that's just like, hey, man, you know, come and we'll accept you where you're at. And like, you don't have to change at all. But when you really start to think about that, that's not really love. When it's like, hey, banker who like skims a little bit of money on the side. Hey, dude who like cheating on his wife constantly. Hey, woman who's racked with worry to the point that she can't sleep at night. That's not love just to leave you where you're at. That's not love. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, things that aren't right, things that bring, that wreck your life, but rejoices in the truth. Like love is centered around truth. It's not a denial of truth. It's not like, well, like I just love you even though. No. No, love is like this. I love you. I love you. And I want more for you. I want you to change. I don't want you to stay where you're at. Let's continue to the last section here. Love, this is verse 8, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. But for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. <laughs> love never ends. Um, there's this idea that the Greeks had. So, so the Old Testament used to make fun of all the nations around them because what they would do is they would build with their hands, they'd stack up stones, or they'd build with clay or wood. They'd make idols, you know, these statues and these things, and they would bow down to them. And the Old Testament, which is a huge part of the, the whole big first chunk of the Bible, has a section called the prophets where they just make fun of these guys and say, listen, you will become like what you worship. You worship these dead idols. You, you, you ring bells, you shout. I mean, they used to cut themselves as a sign of devotion, let their blood go. They would do all types of things. And the idea is, you know, this will wake up the God in the rock. And they say, no, that is dead. And if you worship dead idols, you yourself will become spiritually dead. But the Greeks came along, and they had a little bit of a more sophisticated idea. And what they thought was that they had these gods, but what they, what they did is they said, you know what? This is what they got right. Every one of us is going to die. Our cities, they rise, they fall. 
and then we build new cities on them. And then sometimes they're just completely gone and nothing's built there anymore. Everything seems to change. All the material stuff we see doesn't last. But in all times, in all places, there is this thing in us that we could call anger or wrath. And it drives men to war. And it seems to outlast you and I. And they would call it a god, the god of war. And there's this thing in us, knowledge. And it, it seems like you know, it possesses people and it seems to be distinct from us. And it outlasts people. And so we're going to call that you know, the god of knowledge and, and, and lust and so on. And, and the, the Bible speaks exactly to this and is saying, listen, love, anger, wrath, lust, not, those are not gods. The Bible flips it around and says, God is love. Not love is God, not wrath is God, <laughs> not whatever, but God is is love. Listen to the words of this bishop from, from England. and His name is N.T. Wright. He says, love is not our duty, it is our destination. Learn it. Practice it. Love is the language Jesus spoke, and as we are called to speak it so that we can converse with him. What he's saying here is, listen, love is the language Jesus speaks, you need to practice it now. Why? Because this is what it's like in heaven. This is not the means to get into heaven. It's not like love people really well. Love people really well. And if you do really good, you'll get rewarded with heaven. He's flipping that around. He's saying, no, God is love. This is his language. This is who he is. You've got to learn how to love now and not be selfish now. Because when you die and the next life comes, you will need to have some practice <laughs> loving people and loving God. And if you choose to shut it all down, we've talked about that before, if you choose to shut it all down, and you, don't, you choose to not live for love, and not be open to God, then you will shrink. You, you, you will become nothing. You, you, will, you will become like, we've seen this, we have family, right? Who, who live for just another high. They'll rob from you, they'll kill They'll do whatever. And anything that, anything that was good in them seems to have died. They just seem to be possessed. And if we, if, if we don't turn to God and love, that's our destiny. Our, our destiny is, like, you think this life is hell? <laughs> hell is hell. This life is a preview, but it's also a preview of heaven. It's both. And we can learn to practice the way of love. <sighs> See, we got it all backwards. We're, we're materialists, and we think we know better, but we don't. The realest things aren't the things you can grab a hold of, but they're the things that grab a hold of you, that possess your spirit. The realest things are things like love <laughs> that are beyond you and, can, and keep family and keep the world together. And we see in this passage 
that it's time, it's time, and this is where we're going to end, it's time for you to grow up, right? He says, I used to think like a child, but now I grew up. (laughs) It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You know, have you ever heard of how eagles will plant their eggs and they'll, 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 the eggs, inside the eggs, where they have this thing they call an eaglet. It's not an eagle. It's not born yet, but it's called an eaglet. And the eaglet does something called pipping. Not pimping. Okay? And you can mishear me. All right? But pipping. And if you ever cracked an egg that was like partially formed, not the one you get from the grocery store and make omelets with, but if you ever seen an egg that's cracked and it's partially formed, you'll see like there's kind of multiple membranes. There's the hard shell, and then there's another membrane, and then you got the, you know, the, the growing eaglet in the, in the shell. And as this thing develops, it needs to take its beak and it needs to start pipping. It needs to start banging on that soft first membrane that holds it in. This is the thing. Mama Eagle isn't going to get that inner membrane. Mama Eagle isn't going to crack the egg open for the eaglet. If, if she does, the chance that that eaglet will live is very low. So that eaglet has to get strong enough and has to break itself out of that egg. And in our society, we seem to be terrified of growing up. We seem to be terrified of busting out of our shell. We would love it if, you know, no one ever offended us. No one ever told us we were wrong. No one ever told us we, it was like that guilt's okay. Yeah, you should be guilty. We would love to be in that little cozy egg <laughs> forever. <laughs> that's, that's us. I'm not picking on like millennials. Like that's, that's all you baby boomers. That's, that's, that's everybody. That's us. This is us as Americans. We don't, we, we struggle to own. We struggle to own it. And if we don't grow up, we remain as children who are selfish, kind of backfight. What does it look like if a whole bunch of people don't grow up? I would suggest to you what it looks like is what you see all around you. (laughs) Walk down the streets. (laughs) Open your eyes. Go to Thanksgiving. See the fights in your family. You know what I mean? Like, what does it look like? Just open your eyes, and you'll see what it looks like to be in a situation where people just don't want to grow up. We're terrified to grow up, and we love our Disney theology. We love, our, we love our theology of like our way of thinking that says, follow your heart. Follow your heart and it'll all work out. Be true to yourself. But you've been following your heart and it's been screwing up your life to this point. So maybe that's not working out for you. Okay, so what do these words mean? They're really important. Faith and hope and love. Particularly faith and hope. Hope is not like, I hope that I win the lottery. I played the mega millions and I hope I win the lottery. That's, that's not 
what the biblical word for hope is. Faith is this idea of certain expectation. Faith is this idea of certain, and hope is this idea of joyful expectation. So on Christmas morning, my kids know they have faith that dad and mom will tell them that Christmas is coming. It's going to be this day. It really is. It's come every year. It's going to be Christmas. Now, they don't always get the same gifts every year. Sometimes they get what they want. Sometimes they don't. And as they get older, increasingly not because they have ridiculous dreams (laughs) and hopes. But they're still young enough where they have tons of hope as well. So faith is that idea where we know it's happening. Like it's, it's just a fact in our head. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have Christmas. Hope is, I can't sleep tonight. I hope I get what I asked for. <laughs> I, I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so happy. It's coming. And this is, this is what um, Paul is saying. And if you look through the rest of the Bible, you can see this. When you have faith, you have entered the doorway into the kingdom. You have to start there. You have to start with, I believe God is there and he rewards me. Sometimes your feelings aren't there. Sometimes you don't feel like that hope. Sometimes you struggle to love. But faith is the blossom of grace. There's a tree in Tisa's yard that has these super smelly but beautiful blossoms, right? And these flowers. And that's good. Like when you first kind of start getting into this Jesus stuff, like you have a blossom. You have like something happens in you. You didn't have to do anything for it. God just gave it to you. And all of a sudden you like are interested in stuff you were never interested in. But the problem is, as we stall out, is we think we're done pipping. We think we're good. We hit the first layer. We forget there's other layers. (laughs) And we think, yeah, I'm good, I, I believe. But the problem is, is that, you know, like James 2.19 talks about that faith, that certain expectation, even the demons believe and tremble. The Bible's really clear. Faith by itself is no true faith. A true faith is going to evolve into hope. A true faith is going to mature over time that's genuine and it's going to become not just a certain expectation, but a joyful expectation. And then what's going to happen is, like, just like you see in the Gospel of John, where the first 13 chapters, Jesus is constantly talking about, believe me, if you believe me, if you believe me. And then he washes the disciples' feet. And from 13, the middle of chapter 13 to 21, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if you abide in me, if you live in me, you are expected to grow up. Jesus is the one that we're all growing towards. Love is the direction we're all going towards. We know this. It's clear in the scriptures. Faith gives birth to hope, which gives birth to love. I have a lot more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish there, and I'm going to just, just pray for us. I, I pray that you would experience this. There's actually, I do have one thing. It's in the bulletin. Um, so I gave you the picture of growth, like who you are supposed to grow into. It's Jesus. 
supposed to look like him. How, like the road, the road is faith, certain expectation, hope, joyful expectation, love, giving yourself. I gave you sort of the road, but you can drive down that road with a lot of different cars. Everybody's wired differently. Everybody is wired differently. For some people, they grow and they need music and it moves their soul and that's where they, they connect to God. For some people, it's going out on a hike in the woods. For some people, it's the, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like we're all wired differently. But we have to go down the lane, but we go down the lane in different vehicles because God just made us wonderfully different. But here's a principle that's true for everybody. It's in this insert by this pastor, Reverend Alexander White. And he says this. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a little part of it. Well, the thing is in your hand. The thing what? How to grow. How to grow in grace and grow in knowledge. The thing is in your own hand. The torch to kindle your own heart to that heavenly heat is in your own hand. The torch is this. Think about Christ. Just think about Christ. And that will do it. Thinking about one another, meditating on one another, imagining one another, that makes your heart hot towards another. He's talking about, you know what he's talking about. (laughs) Right? Like, when you start thinking about a guy or a girl and you meditate and you play it out, it, your love grows. <laughs> Thinking about him will do it. Meditate on him. Imagine you see him do it. Think enough, meditate enough, and it'll always end in prayer and in praise and in repentance and in new obedience. Think you see Christ in the four Gospels. It means you got to read the four Gospels. Think you see him die at the end. Think you see him rise again. Think you see him ascend to heaven. Think that it's the last day of judgment. And think you see the books open till you cry out and continually day and night to the rock of ages that's cleft for you. The one, like when you die, Jesus is going to be your safety. He's going to be your out. Think about that. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that uh, this, this beginning, this opening up of like the road that we go down, how the, the, the blossom of faith and the fruit of love, the, the path of hope, I pray, God, that we would be a people who love. God, make us a people who love. God, make us a people who, people could say anything else about us, like they might not like us for a million other reasons. But help them not say, yeah, that's a bunch of people who don't really love anybody. They're judgmental. They're this and that. They're cold. They don't do nothing for anybody. God, may that never be said of us. Lord, help us to live and walk like you. Help us to go back to this passage and meditate on all these things. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love does not seek its own interest. Help us to sit in it and think about it and meditate on it until it becomes our reality, until it becomes who we are. Lord, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.